0: Welcome to Cast Conversations, a bi-weekly podcast for school leaders by school leaders. Each of our episodes will engage practitioners and thought leaders in conversations about issues, ideas, and innovations relevant to today's busy educators. Hello everyone, my name is Rosie O'Brien-Voytek and I'm the current president for the Connecticut Association of Schools. Our special guest today is Scott Driscoll, educational consultant, president and founder of ISC Internet Safety Concepts and co-author of the internet safety book, www.ruindanger.net. Scott Driscoll started his law enforcement career in 1989 and served as a youth officer for most of his tenure. As a youth officer, Scott was able to build rapport and relationships with the youth in his community and the school system. In 1992, he began teaching drug education in the local school system, which started his journey into educating youth. In 2003, Scott became a member of the FBI Innocent Image Task Force in New Haven, During his tenure with this task force, he led and assisted in numerous operations involving computer crimes against children. While he was investigating these crimes, he realized one element to computer crimes was missing, education on Internet and technology safety. This was the impetus for Scott to begin teaching groups outside of the schools about Internet dangers and how to be safe on the Internet and while using other technology. In 2005, the Internal Revenue Service in conjunction with the Secret Service and the U.S. Immigrations and Customs awarded Scott the Computer Investigative Specialist 2000 training. This training provided Scott an opportunity to become a computer forensic examiner, which allowed him to assist law enforcement agencies all over the state of Connecticut with computer-related investigations. Scott is presented to thousands of students, parents, religious groups, education administrators, teachers, and the law enforcement community. WFSB has referred to Scott as their internet expert. Scott lives in Connecticut with his wife and two children. He's seen firsthand the dangers of the internet and other technology, not only through his children's eyes, but while conducting undercover investigations. Through all of his experiences and training, Scott truly understands the dangers that could occur while using the internet, social media, and today's technologies. This is an extremely important and relevant topic. We're very excited to have Scott joining us for this cast conversation. So welcome, Scott.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me.
0: We can describe the current use of technology, including the internet, websites, social media, virtual environments, as the good, the bad, and the ugly. From your perspective, what is good, what is bad, and what is just downright ugly? Wow,
1: that's, that's a great question. And a lot of times they kind of blend over each other. Uh, I think the good, I think, let's start off with the good. Okay. There's a lot of good to technology and when it's used appropriately, I think we're only scratching the surface on how good it can be. Let's just take social media, communication with our friends and family who we're not close with. I think it's just a great avenue where social media connects people. When I was growing up, I saw my cousins two days a year that's just around the holidays. That's how our family was. Now I I contact with them all the time and it's great that we've reconnected and we've used that technology in a good way. I think our children can learn. There's so much educational aspect to technology. Uh, The bad who we communicate with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our digital footprint can be a bad thing, but that's one of the things where it crosses over because I think digital footprints can be a good thing depending on how we use it. Bad can also be maybe we spend too much time in front of a screen (laughs) and we're not (laughs) running around as much and we're not doing other activities. Uh, I think the ugly is who we're communicating with and what we're doing. We, kids and adults, we're communicating with strangers parents maybe aren't aware of who their kids are communicating with and I think that's a very dangerous game and I've seen firsthand that how one simple mistake or a couple seconds of not paying a close mind to safety we can lose control and that can get real ugly because sometimes with the internet uh, as good as it is when the bad happens it can be real bad and we can't take it back and if something spreads it spreads as rapidly as we can think anything can happen. I think the good outweighs the ugly but when the ugly happens it can be real ugly.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So after reading about your career and exploring your website, I would think that there isn't too much that you haven't seen when it comes to dangers lurking in cyberspace. Give us some examples of what you consider to be the most dangerous, those ugly things that you're talking about, uses of technology, and how we can recognize those dangers.
1: I think the first, for me, if you talk about the the, the most dangerous and the most ugly is when young people especially allow strangers into the world. We just don't know who we're communicating with. And unfortunately, as we know, there's some bad people on the internet. And we're seeing an, an increase now with the sex trafficking being used on the internet. And we're seeing adults and strangers luring our kids. And that is just a, such a dangerous game. Now, does it happen every day? No, but if you ask me my most dangerous thing, it's mm-hmm. the kids communicating with strangers. We as parents, we we don't let them communicate with strangers. If someone looks at our kid wrong in a store, we're kind of shadowing our kid behind us when we walk by that stranger. And we're not doing that on the internet. And there's a lot of dangers that are happening out there. And because it happens so fast, the kids might not know what to do or turn to because the parents might not understand technology. So I think another concern is, we're behind the curve a little bit as parents on what our kids are doing online. I think we got to catch up with that because it's important to know what our kids are doing.
0: Right, and sometimes our kids know more than what we know.
1: And that's okay. I think every mm. generation has that. I mean, I was the VCR resetter for our clock during my generation. My mm. parents could never set a VCR <laughs> clock. I still can <laughs> so, And prior to that, they, I'm sure that generation had. Now I, I'm the first to admit I've learned from my kids. If yeah. I do a new app and my children are on it and I have a 21-year-old and a 19-year-old, if I get lost, hey, teach me. It's not about prying into their life. I want to know about it. And they are good instructors because they understand technology.
0: Exactly. So as you've said, every generation has their technological challenges and used to be like radio, television, telephone, video games, email. What challenges are our children facing today with the Internet that teachers and parents should be aware of? And even more importantly, what are some of the tools and the information that parents and teachers need to help their children navigate the digital frontier?
1: Well, I think some of the challenges is what we're seeing right now is when I help out with college scholarship committees, what we're seeing and what we're finding on a digital footprint is about a 10 to 12 year window. So I think one of the challenges, is a lot of us think that consequences are immediate and there are consequences that are immediate. But what technology does is it allows things to follow us. And that is a big-time concern, because what we do now might seem funny, but in a couple years, if we're in front of a college, college scholarship board and they put up a picture and say, is that you, we've got to defend the actions we did in that picture. So I think it's important to understand that's a technological challenge. I think the challenge for adults is just keeping up with it. It's a challenge to just figure out what the kids are doing, understanding the terminology, how they're using it, and also who they're communicating with. So one of the things I think parents need to do is just Maybe not accusatory, maybe we take an educational approach. Hey, what apps are you using? I'm mm-hmm. um, using Instagram. Okay, show me a couple things. Uh, I've heard Scott talk, I've, I've read about Instagram, I've heard these things. Teach me something so I can give you the space and respect you want, but also in the same time as an adult in your life, I can help keep you safe. I think it's important for educators to know that there's a lot of ways that technology is used in the classroom to cheat.
0: Mm-hmm. A lot
1: of ways that kids are using this stuff to hide things from us and as an educator you spend so many hours with the kids I think it's important for educators to know there's technology things that can be used against them when their kids using it in classrooms but I also think the educators have to know what apps they're using because they're in the public's eye with their parents and I think it's important for every app that we use we understand how it works and what people can find about us to protect ourselves.
0: Absolutely so on your internet safety concepts website it's all about internet safety in fact I love the subtitle empowering smart online choices yes. so what are some of your your favorite online resources and apps for students, parents, and educators?
1: For the first thing, if we're going to talk about some resources, let's talk about the resources our parents can use. Okay. A lot of times parents are intimidated by the devices, so they don't realize there's a lot of resources out there for them. For example, let's say every time your child picks up a device, they get jumpy. And when you ask them what are they doing, they're doing, they tap the screen a couple times and they say nothing. That could be their child's receiving some nasty messages. It could be a cyberbullying thing. We see their whole attitude and demeanor change while they're using it. Maybe the parents want to look into a program called Teen Safe. What Teen Safe does is it retrieves deleted text messages. If our parents have a tough time getting control over when our kids use things, let's say, for example, okay, it's bedtime, and behind the closed doors, all the parents here are fingers hitting a keyboard, Disney Circle might be the program they want because on Disney Circle, parents from their own device can turn off the apps and programs on their child's device. Oh, great. I and haven't I, heard about yeah, that one. Yeah, see, there's so a whole cool. bunch of Yeah, them. yeah. I wow. think it's important for parents to understand that there's resources that help out there. For educators, there's a lot of great things that, people can use i'm not familiar with too many of the educational programs it's not the wheelhouse that i'm in Mm -hmm. when it comes to children there's a lot of great educational apps out there there's a lot of great fun apps out there it's all about age appropriateness and this is what i think a lot of parents don't understand almost every social media site has a minimum age of 13 years old right now when i go into a fifth grade classroom the the three big programs that kids want to talk about are musically snapchat and instagram All three of them are a social network where if we don't have it set properly, complete strangers can see everything our kids are doing. And the minimum age is 13. And in fifth grade, they're way below that age. And some of the videos that I've seen on Musical.ly and some of the pictures I've seen on Instagram, there's no way a fifth grader should be posting those pictures and doing it. So I think there's a lot of great fun to stuff. It's all about the age appropriateness.
0: Right. And even their parents. I've noticed that some of the parents at my school are posting things of their kids, pictures that you would think... You may not wanna see.
1: I think well you may not want to see. I think it's a big communication part. I have seen parents with their younger kids twerking on videos on musically and what people don't realize is from one push of a screen on my computer I can record audio and video. I now own and possess that video. And although at that spur of the moment it might have seemed fun, Now we're talking about something that could follow somebody or someone that we shouldn't be in collecting stuff on us now has a permanent record of that moment. So it's all about privacy settings. It's all about when when we use them. I'm not telling kids not to use social media. Like you said, I I try to empower the good choices. And one of the first things I say is we have to respect the minimum age. There's Mm -hmm. a reason these companies put them in place. They don't have a lot of rules. The one rule they say is be 13. And then when the kids develop all their fake accounts, there's a whole bunch of risks that go along with that
0: absolutely so one of an administrator's biggest nightmares I'm going to kind of change it yeah, is ahead. is to find that someone has posted something negative about their school or their students or even about them on social media or even worse that the message goes viral and takes on a life of its own when something like that happens what's the best way for an administrator to deal with it is there a way to either get out from under it or get in front of it or somehow get away from it
1: that's a great challenge I mean there's a lot of sites out there where people can post things anonymously absolutely um, there's a lot of I don't want to call them trolls, but there's a lot of people that just look for comments online just so they can say something mean, derogatory and make situations worse. If a comment is posted about your school, uh, unfortunately, it's a public area, so there's not much you can do. Some of the recommendations I always (laughs) say is post the positive stuff. Uh, Make sure if someone's saying something negative, then maybe put up a positive post. Not saying that eliminates the problem, but it helps get a little control over what Mm -hmm. we do. And you can start to see maybe get a positive feedback out there. If someone says something about your name, unless it's a crime of, you know, taking away your identity or it's complete slander, there's not much we can do about it. And that's the that's the bad part of
0: mm-hmm. the Internet.
1: We're limited on control. So what I always say is, one, monitor. I think that if you're the principal of this school, search your school's name in a search engine. See what's being said so you're at least aware of it so there's mm-hmm. no blindsides to you. Network with your parents. If you hear something, let us know. If it crosses the line of being illegal, certainly contact your local police department. And I think schools and police departments should be working hand in hand. So even if it doesn't cross the line of being illegal, bring it up to your police department's attention. Hey, this is what was said about our school. We're doing positive things, but we wanted to bring it to your attention in case you hear about it. So maybe as a community, we can send out messages that doesn't happen. Common thing that happens right now, it's a very tough thing to remove are hashtags. And what makes a hashtag very unique is, let's say I put on a hashtag and I won't pick on any schools. Let's say I put up a hashtag that says, I hate you. Not only does it follow me, now that's a negative comment. And what I mean by follow you, a hashtag makes our comments searchable. So I go on to Instagram, I have a bad day, and I hashtag I hate you. You go into Instagram four years from now and search I hate you, it brings me back to the date and time I said it. So when people make comments about schools or about people, if that hashtag's part of it now, it's a searchable thing that we can't remove it. It just adds one more layer of ugh, aggravation to it. But I think it's important to be aware that that's how it works so we can avoid doing that. And if we're gonna use hashtags and stuff like that, we use it appropriately and we think about safety every time. Mm. I never use hashtags. For my business, I might to help promote things, but that's about it. For personal things, I don't, and it's tough. I mean, I've had teacher friends that have come to me and said, on this site, this is what they said about me. What can we do to remove those comments? And unfortunately, you can make a complaint to the social media or the site saying, this is slanderous, this is inappropriate, this is rude. And then that one site can look at it and say, yeah, you're right, You know, it doesn't follow our policies and they can remove it. Or they just put up their hands and say, nothing we can do.
0: The other thing that's scary about that is if you think that you're making up a hashtag and... Uh, you may think that it's perfectly fine, and then you find out that other people are using it in a derogatory way, and now you've been tied to that without even realizing it.
1: Hashtags take on a life all of Mm -hmm. their own. We we try so hard to protect our children and teach them good things at age-appropriate levels. If they go into social media with a hashtag of a question, they don't want to ask mom or dad, whether it's pornography, whether it's drugs. There's going to be information because of that hashtag for our kids to see, and it's just not right.
0: Right. Wow. So... Why is it so easy for people to say mean things to other people or about other people when they're texting or on social media?
1: Oh, uh, you know why? Because all we see is a screen. Uh, one of the things that I've been really telling kids these days is don't let a screen change who you are. If you wouldn't say it, to, if you wouldn't say it in front of your parents, you wouldn't say it in front of your principal, and you wouldn't say it to that person's face. Don't let a screen change who you are. But it's easy, and this is not just children. I mean, I think we've also. You know, I know I've been part of group text messages with adults, and you look at it and they go, oh, "I can't believe you just said that." And when I teach with corporations, I've had so many employees come to me and go, "My boss is a bully over text messages every single day to me." And I would say, "Well, and you got resources, but if you talk to your boss about it, because sometimes comments are deliberately mean. Sometimes it." We just don't see the impact of our words. It might be in my mind a joke, or it might just be a lighthearted comment. You might look at it and go, I'm offended by that. I think we also have to have the ability to communicate about these things as well. Easier said than done sometimes.
0: Absolutely, yeah. But
1: I think if we're gonna accuse somebody of something or we're feeling this way, I think we have the right to look into it and point out the fact that this is how it made me feel. And look into it. But it's so easy because we lose control.
0: And one of the biggest problems that I think that administrators and parents even are facing is cyberbullying. So what should parents and educators know and do to prevent and protect children from cyberbullying? Oh,
1: that's that's a real <laughs> tough one. There's a couple of different ways. Well, let's talk about the protection from parents. Let's take the parents' perspective okay. first. What kind of makes me think about it, uh, we are, as parents, by nature, protective For example, the first time, if you have a child, the first time they go to take steps, it's usually between the legs of two parents with pillows around, and if that child stumbles, we prevent them from hitting the floor. Then they go to riding a bike. We put helmets on them. We put elbow pads on them, and we run as hard as we can next to the bike so they don't fall. Then we give them a smartphone and say, here's the world. Mm -hmm. We're not educated ourselves. We're not understanding what happens. We just say, here you go. So I think there's got to be a connection with the parents. So one of the things about preventing this stuff is understanding the technology, how quickly things can happen. And again, easier said than done because not every parent has a time to learn about it, nor do they want to. So I think understanding where our kids go is one thing, but also understanding our kids. If my child is always using social media and then all of a sudden does, doesn't does want to use the device, and every time my cell phone rings, my kid gets jumpy, there's a reason that that might be the target of a cyberbullying so i think it's important to know for the warning signs of what is happening if our child changes their attitude towards technology what a happy go lucky kid now maybe not so much all the time and it could just be adolescents too because we know they change but there's also ways to prevent it by just getting involved and knowing about it i think open communication but also reinforcing to our children that if somebody is being mistreated online and they say something they're not a snitch they're not a tattletale they're a hero and every student presentation I talk to, that's the message I give to the kids. If someone's being mistreated online, you find the adult in your support system, teacher, principal, parent, and say, I think someone needs help. Uh, The reason they don't is kids know like snitches get stitches and they Mm -hmm. live by these terms. I think it's important for parents to to reinforce that. I think also as as a school, we reinforce that. And a lot of schools have the great posters around and great messages that (laughs) we're here for you and we are. I think that just every once in a while needs to be reinforced with the kids because I think when kids go through this, their first feeling is, I don't have anyone to talk to. Them. I'm scared, especially over technology. It's just a screen. They can put it in their pocket and maybe think it'll go away. We've seen with cyberbullying, it doesn't go away. In fact, it could get worse because it follows the kid. If I was bullied as a kid, right now, you know, 20 years ago, I could look back and go, Man, if I ever bumped into him now face to face, it would be different. But it would all be my memories this generation is not gonna have memories. They're gonna have documented proof of what happened because of all the bullying thing that gets put on there in the comments. So I think it's important to get involved as fast as we can.
0: So a big issue for schools and districts has become sexting. What is sexting? How young are we starting to see this happen? And what advice do you have for school administrators and parents on the issue of sexting?
1: Well, oh, wow, that's, that's a lot of questions in one thing. I know. Sexting is the sending of pictures over our technology, and it's no longer just a kid issue. When I first started investigating sexting crimes, it would be an upper high school, college issue. Now it's a community issue. Right now, my record, what I do is I train police officers how to investigate cybercrime. so I get phone calls all the time. I had an officer, a fantastic investigator, call me and said he had two nine-year-olds and an adult over what they call the network kick. And I remember the officer saying, I've got images in my head I'll never get rid of. So those were nine-year-old kids. I, I think we have to be aware of when we give our kids technology, the impulsivity in these sexting pictures are a big concern we have to be aware of. I think teachers just have an open mind, listen, pay attention to what the kids are talking about. I think administrators and parents need to be aware about our sexting law. We have a law here in Connecticut that only affects our children. By general statute, what the law states is if you're under the age of 18, and you receive a picture of child pornography from the person who was in the picture, and the picture is child pornography. You keep that picture, you're in violation of law. Now, the way we word child pornography in the state of Connecticut, it's the age, the act, the body parts that are exposed, and how they're exposed. And when I train police officers, pictures fall under one of three categories they're good, they're inappropriate, or they're illegal. The sexting law is only for the illegal child pornography pictures. Now, the law states now under the age of 18. That changed October 1st, because October 1st, it used to be if you were between the ages of 13 and 18 and you received a picture. The reason the law changed is we had a lot of 10 through 12-year-olds who were in possession of pictures, and they were being charged with felonies of possession of Mm -hmm. child pornography. So the juvenile justice system and the lawmakers said, we've got to change that. So now it's under 18. Mm -hmm. And the second part of the law is if you're under the age of 16, you're the one that's in the picture and you voluntarily disseminate it. That's our sexting law, and I think it's important for parents. I I tell kids eighth grade and above what the law is so they they make good choices about the pictures they take. Sexting has serious consequences, not just illegal, but these pictures follow our children, and they follow adults too. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see if you do research, there's a lot of professionals who are dealing with sexting consequences just from sending pictures. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important. We have to understand in Connecticut, the sexting law only affects our children. But the sending of pictures is something that we all have to be concerned about, especially if they're inappropriate. Now, there was another law that came out. This one is unlawful dissemination of an intimate image. This is what they call the revenge porn statue. It just came out last year. And this one deals with just intimate images. And the way our statue reads the body has to be covered by an opaque covering. If it doesn't fall into that category and someone sends it without well, the person's knowledge, that can also be a class A misdemeanor. And I really do believe that the schools are going to be dealing with this one a lot over the next couple of years because there's a lot of intimate images, maybe mm-hmm. not child pornography, but a lot of intimate images that one person will send to another. Once it's screenshot and forwarded, if that intimate image falls under our statue, that could be a crime right there.
0: So what recommendations do you have for administrators that may be going to have to deal with this? The,
1: the, the biggest thing that I have seen from talking to kids is educating them. Because when I talk to the kids about taking the pictures, a lot of them come up to me and go, well, I get a lot of requests for nudes, and I just thought it was okay to do. And I educate them that it's not okay. That's First mm-hmm. of all, it's you. That's everything right. private that you have. You're giving out there. And that's a lot of trust to give to somebody. I think educators have to just keep an open mind that this is happening, keep an ear to the ground, listening to what's going on, but educating the kids. What I tell the kids, every kid that'll listen to me, let's prevent the pictures from being taken. I came up with an acronym. I tell the kids, before you take a picture, make sure the picture's safe. And my acronym for safe is be sure it's appropriate for everyone before you take the picture. Oh, that's and good. the challenge I have for them is right before you hit click, just ask yourself, what would mom say? Or if the first thing you think of is, I hope my dad doesn't see this, I challenge the kids, put that camera down and think it through. After you take a breath and think it through, if it turns out to be no big deal, take the picture and use technology. But if your first thought is, I hope someone doesn't see it, that's probably not the right picture to take.
0: Very good. Oh, and one more thing on that. I
1: think we should also reinforce with our kids, they have the right to say no to a picture request. If they don't feel comfortable, I don't care who it is, relative, friend, classmate, if someone says send me this picture no one will see it and they don't feel comfortable they have the right to say no and if someone doesn't respect that they should block the person talk to a trusted adult or friend and say hey this person won't leave me alone
0: right and i think the other thing is to be vigilant i know a lot of times you're in social situations and everybody's taking pictures and if you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing You never know where those pictures are going to end up.
1: Look at how many adults got in problems with with their jobs just from red solo cups online. And I disagree with that because I think it's innocent until proven guilty. But Mm -hmm. right now in society, if you have a red solo cup in your hand, you're consuming alcohol as educators it could be a holiday party with iced tea mm-hmm. but if three educators have a picture of them parents are going to assume look at look at what the teachers are doing right. same thing with us in law enforcement when i do professional development for educators and for law enforcement like we've got to be careful we are in the public's eye and perception's a big part of it
0: yeah perception's and everything i don't i don't agree with it. i think it's
1: wrong but it's just the reality of what social media and the internet has done to
0: us Right, right. So you do a lot of presentations to students in middle school and high school. You've given us a few, but what are the key takeaways that you want kids to walk away with?
1: Well, the first challenge I always give the kids, and that's one of the first questions I ask in the (laughs) presentation, is how do you use the apps? And more importantly, why do you use the apps you use? If they look to me and say, I use Instagram, I always follow up the question and say, why? If they tell me because everyone else is doing it, I don't accept that as an excuse. If they say to me, it's a great way that me and my family communicate, okay, well that's social media in a good way. So I want them thinking about how and why. The, the, The next big thing is I challenge them to go through their follow list. Who's in their world with two simple questions? Who is the person and why are they so important I wanna communicate with them? If you can answer both those questions, then all right, you've got the right people in your world and you can use this stuff. I want them thinking, my my presentations are never a lecture. I don't point a finger and say, I can't believe you're doing what you're doing online. Pretty much like how we're talking Mm -hmm. here, it's laying out the facts to encourage them to make good choices. Middle school students, one of the biggest rules I have is you should not be downloading an app unless your parents are aware of the app you're downloading. I think high school students should too, but we know when high school they get a little older, they got a little more independence and I respect that. But if a middle school student has to download an app and their parents can't know about it, there's something wrong there. You can go on the Internet and demonstrate things and say things and share things, but your parents can't know what you're doing. I just think that's a bad safety decision right from the get-go.
0: Absolutely. So what are some of the apps that parents can download to keep a watchful eye on what their children are doing?
1: Well, it all depends on what the kids are doing. There's a whole bunch of uh, resources. If you go to my website under my parent page, there's a whole bunch of links to certain ones. It all depends on what you're looking for. Like, if let's say you have a high school teenage driver. There's a couple apps, like Life 360 or Mama Bear. Mama Life, Bear? Mama <laughs> Bear, yep. heard that one. Okay. What, what these programs do is they can let you know where your kids are, but they will also tell you how fast your kids are going. Uh-huh. You can set a speed limit. So for younger drivers, that might be a good safety thing. Hey, listen, you're building up trust, and here you go. This app can help monitor what they're doing. If it's just to monitor programs, there's a couple. TeenSafe we talked about. Go Disney we talked about. MM Guardian is good for monitoring social media. Another one is Custudio, and it monitors social media. There's not one that does perfect for all of them. It all depends on what your family needs are. And I think if we put these apps on the phone, we start getting involved with our kids. Like on my website, I also have a contract for parents to print up. And I think it's good to have communication with our kids and say, okay, you want the technology? Here's, here's a contract we're all going to agree upon before we even join this journey. So there's, there's ways to get control over it. But I think parental controls are a good thing.
0: And I definitely agree with you. When you're talking parental controls and parental supervision, there's also something that I'd like to get your opinion on, and that is I'm an elementary principal for anybody that's listening, and one of the things that's starting to come into my school are smart watches. Now you may think that smart watches are a really great thing. And if I was a parent right now of a young child, I, w- I would probably think it's a great thing because you can put GPS on it. You can have several phone numbers so that you can call your child at any time. Um, there's lots of games that they can play. There's cameras so they can take pictures, all kinds of things, even SOS. So if they run into trouble, they can push a button. What happens when we bring that into the schools? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? And what do parents need to know, especially about that GPS tracking that might not be such a good thing?
1: Well, the GPS tracking for younger students with parents, a lot of people are worried about people hacking into our GPS and seeing where we all are. Obviously, with technology, we all know that if hackers really want to do something, they're pretty smart, they can get away with it. The most part, that's not what they're hacking into. They're looking into our bank accounts and getting things where they can get a gain out of. Hacking into our GPS accounts really hasn't been happening too much. Sure, it could, but it doesn't. Concerns for smartphones, I think they can be a distraction for kids at a younger age. I know if I had one on my wrist when I was younger, I wouldn't be paying attention to the teacher. I'd be paying attention <laughs> to what's on my phone. That's just my attention span, I still apparently. Do that in I know. <laughs> <laughs> and we all do it. I mean, go to a restaurant right now and no one's talking to their families. We're all on our devices. Mm-hmm. So now if we have a smartphone on our wrist during the day, that could be a distraction. There's good things, like you said, for emergency phone calls. I don't agree with parents calling the kids during the day on their devices. Every school's got landlines and systems in place. And it, I encourage parents never to do that. Do not call your kids. That's what the school is there for, to keep them safe. As kids get older, my concern with the smartwatches are the cheating. Because mm-hmm. there's so many ways. If I, I'm telling you, I have an iWatch on right now. If I had this iWatch when I was in high school, you would be talking to Dr. Driscoll right now. Because <laughs> what I would do in my photos is take a picture of my textbooks, and yeah. I would have my textbook on my watch. So when I took a test... I would have all my literature right in front of me.
0: Uh-huh. And I'm
1: not, I, listen, I used to write on the bottom of my shoe if or I was on really. On your hand? I, my <laughs> hand, everything. I'm not a shot. I, I tried to yeah. get away with a lot. I was not a great student. They, as a matter of fact, some of my principals might be listening to this, and they know I was not a great student. But that's one thing also I think it's yeah. important to know. I, I, we're in a day and age where safety is very important. I understand as parents we want to protect our children. But also we've got to trust our schools. And if the school has a policy of don't talk to your kids, don't contact your kids, I think as parents they need to really respect that. Lockdowns and stuff like that, when I used to run lockdown drills, it used to drive me crazy where parents would call or people would be on their phones. And I'm like, you're putting a lot of people at risk with that. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, when a police officer or, or school is trying to clear everything and make sure it's safe, if we hear someone on a phone, it's a distraction. Now our attention is over here, and that's not where it should be. It should be on the main attraction of getting anybody where they need to be. So I really push for parents during the day, don't contact your kids. I don't care what kind of technology it is, let the schools do their jobs. Cool. So I have
0: your back on that one, oh, good. I Thank really you. do. Yes, <laughs> yes. So what should teachers and school administrators be paying attention to when it comes to what students can and can't do online? And what should be on a radar that probably isn't that would help us all do a better job and keep our students safer?
1: I think it's important just to listen to the kids. There's a whole subculture of how kids talk online and things they do. Like KYS is an extremely popular acronym that kids are using when they sign off text messages to each other. So they'll talk to their friends and go KYS. In that world, KYS means kill yourself. That is coming to us from middle school students showing me their text message, going, look at how my friends sign off their text messages. FML is F my Life is another one that comes from middle school students. I think it's important for us that work with kids to be in tune a little bit that there's some warning flags that come up. Some of the things that the kids are doing right now is they'll say kick me at and some teachers have talked to me go why do they want to be kicked? I'm like no that's them sharing their kick ID which is a social media site with other people because you can't really search for people on kick so what they're doing is they're expanding their audience and they're expanding their technology by telling each other how to kick each other. That's where they share their kick terms. I think it's important for educators to know that and also I think to be aware of the apps be aware of the programs that are out there because Although it's not falling under your umbrella, it comes into your schools because what happens outside, the stress that goes along with this, the concerns they have, follow them right into your schools. I know, like, with we could talk Snapchat for a second. Mm-hmm. If I send someone a private picture, let's say at nighttime I send someone a private picture and it's supposed to disappear. My girlfriend screenshots it. I get notified screenshot was taken. I'm not going to go down to mom and dad and say, hey, I just took the dirty picture of myself and sent it to my girlfriend. Now what do we do? Because she screenshotted it. No, it's going to be in your school halls the next day when they see each other, all the emotions are raw and there's going to be problems. Be aware of how this stuff works to understand the stress that goes along with that. Now, I'm not agreeing with the kids doing that, but it falls on your the teachers and administrators' laps way too often because it comes into your schools. I also think for, for teachers, it's important We can all use social media, but I think we have to lock ours down to as private as possible and make sure we absolutely know who we're dealing with and who we're communicating with. Let's say you send a kid home and they don't like what uh, the teacher said. Parents could certainly go into Facebook and start researching the teacher if their accounts are open to the public. And if we have a happy hour with our friends and a picture shows up on there and we're not secure and locked, and anybody can see that, that might not be the reputation and image we want our parents to find and people to be able to find on us. So we can certainly use it. We have every right to use it. I think as educators and people that work with kids, we have to be very careful on who we allow into our worlds and what we do with it.
0: And I, I think that goes for everybody.
1: It does. Yeah. But for right now, for police officers and teachers, we are in the public's eye so much. Mm-hmm. We get watched over. I think we just have to take that extra step. Parents have to watch out for it. But I think as educators, we got to take one more step because... It's important. And I also think just as a reminder to everybody that follow your department and your district's guidelines on communication with kids. uh, There's a lot of people that become social media friends with their students and got to make sure that follows your policies. And for me, I I would never do that. When I was a DARE officer, I set up a separate email that my DARE students could use. I would never friend them or associate with them through social media because you just lose control.
0: Yeah, you just never know where it's going to go. And unfortunately, we have to protect ourselves. And as you said earlier, the digital footprints don't go away. They don't. I mean, I can still, like, I I don't know if if people have Googled themselves, but I can still Google myself. And, like, back when I was in Oregon, and that was over 19 years ago as a principal, I still find out things that I was doing as a principal back then. So
1: Right now with this generation, when I help college scholarship committees, we're looking at about a 10- to 12-year window of things we're finding. So that means 6th and 7th graders when they graduate college, that's the window we're looking at. So we have to be responsible.
0: And when they're looking for a job or scholarships or anything. So
1: I've be been I've been on both sides of that fence where I've applied for jobs. I've been on this side of the table where I've done the background checks and I've seen how digital footprints can help. They certainly can if we, mm-hmm. if we use them appropriately and we're proud of what we do. But they can also hurt in a bad way. Mm-hmm. I Google search my name once a week. It's just a routine I do. I keep tabs on what my digital mm-hmm. footprint is. And there's a lot of good and bad out there. We just have to make sure we watch what we're doing.
0: Right. So thank you. And is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you would like to make sure that we tell people?
1: I think it's important for us to understand it's not going away. And that's why when you said you like my tagline of empowering smart choices, we have to realize it's not going away. But I think we have to also educate ourselves to make sure that we're using it with safety in mind. If with the kids in our lives, we have to follow the rules and be a good support system and maybe be good role models for them as well. Demonstrate good behavior and that can hopefully work for him. And if I could be of any assistance, my website is available and I will help anybody that's willing to listen to me.
0: Great. So for everybody who's listening, his website is www.internetsafetyconcepts.com. Correct. And it's been a pleasure talking with you today, Scott. For more information, you can contact Scott, visit his website, and I think you do presentations out in the schools and all around the state.
1: I do about 150 presentations every year in Connecticut, and I'm actually starting to expand to do more national stuff, so I, I will go to anyone who will listen to me.
0: So thank you for coming today and taking time to talk with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of cast Conversations. This podcast is brought to you by the Connecticut Association of Schools, serving schools and their leaders since 1935.